As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast is brought to you in part by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. Open enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite begins on Friday, May 29th, and stretches through the following Saturday, June the 6th. If you have been considering joining This Is Bracket Racing Elite, now's the time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed, where we sometimes discuss Kenny Schrader and men named Money and Rooster. Thank you for joining the program today's episode brings a unique interview. Uh, our guest today is one Henry Robertson. And as many of you longtime listeners will know, uh, part of our goal here within the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast is not only to talk about the news and events within Sportsman Drag Racing, but also to shed a light on the stars and heroes within our sport. Uh, Within recent months, I guess, we've really made a, a concentrated effort to spread that spotlight out in addition to the, the, the Sherman Adcocks and the Edmund Richardsons and the Dan Fletchers of the world who we're all familiar with. 
we've also tried to to shed the light on some of the great stories within our sport maybe not as much from the household names because in every corner of the continent perhaps the world in sports and drag racing there are people whose stories deserve to be told that are unique that are rich and we've done our best to to move in that direction recently and you may remember uh, discussions with scotty bodmer or mitchell mckinney or james wester uh, and a few others today's discussion is uh, along those lines again today's guest henry robertson and Many of you, uh, particularly on the West Coast, when you hear that name, you know exactly who Henry Robertson is. Some of you listening um, on, on the East Coast or uh, elsewhere in the country are like, Henry Robertson, who the hell is that, right? Um, this is a name that if you don't know, A, I have a feeling you will <laughs> soon, <laughs> whether he was a guest on this podcast or not, he is definitely making a name for himself. And it's also a name that if you don't know, you should. And I think at the end of this episode, uh, the reasons why will be very, very obvious. Um, Henry is the epitome of your, the, the epitome of what bracket racing is all about, right? A low budget racer. Now his story is unique. Um, he came up through a, a, the ghetto, as he calls it, uh, you know, a, obviously a rough neighborhood in racing, for him, thanks mainly to his father, it was seen as a, as a, as a way out. Like racing in, in many respects was a way to keep Henry out of trouble. Now, a lot of us can resonate with that, but our trouble and, and the potential troubles for, for Henry, it's, it's a lowercase t to a, to a big capital T trouble that, that racing has kind of helped steer him away from. So he talks a little bit about that. And he just talks about the pursuit of this is a guy that has taken what most of us would consider to be very modest equipment and has had tremendous success. And just his outlook on it, the way that he approaches it, I just, I think it is a refreshing conversation. I think it is a motivational conversation. And I have no doubt, A, I wanted to, to, to shine the spotlight on Henry for who he is and what he's done. And I also have no doubt that he's going big places within our sport if the timing is eloquent and, and he continues to pursue it with the vigor, with the passion, with the drive that he has today. I mean, this is a guy that, that's come up from very meager beginnings who still, I mean, he would not, I don't think he would share this on the air, but prior to our recording, he was talking about he's working two jobs, he's working 18 plus hours a day, five plus days a week. And it's not just to, to fund his passion racing, like that's a part of it. He's trying to build a, build a, a life with, uh, he just got married. I mean, there's a lot of positives going on in Henry's life, but a lot of this is just rooted in a passion for racing. And that resonates with all of us. And the enthusiasm, the drive that he has I think I said it several times in this community, in this conversation, it just oozes out every time that he talks. So without further ado, like just brace yourselves. This is rich. This is fun. Um, this is, this is a really, really cool conversation with Mr. Henry Robertson. All right. Joining me now, Mr. Henry 
Robertson. Henry, what's happening, man? What's going on, Luke, man? Happy to be here. Mr. Cool Hand Luke Bogaki on Big J, the Luke's <laughs> podcast. <laughs> man, it is an honor to have you on the show. And I, I feel like this is a bit of a, a bit unique for me, at least, simply because most of the guests that we have on the show, I have raced with my whole life. I don't believe we've ever actually met in person, but I'm obviously at least relatively familiar with your uh, accomplishments, your racing, and to some extent, your program. Obviously intrigued enough that I wanted to, to have you on the show. So maybe a, a decent place to start. Let me just kind of go through what I think I know about you and your racing. <laughs> And then you can uh, correct me where I'm wrong and hopefully it kind of tees you up to, to tell your story. That sound good? Okay. Yeah, sounds good. All right. So what I know about Henry is uh, based in Northern California, obviously extremely passionate about our sport. It seems like you will race anywhere, anytime, relatively low budget, yet extremely successful. Um, I don't, I, the, the reason that we are connected and that I know at least part of your story is you've been a member of This Is Bracket Racing Elite for a year or so. That's, that's kind of how I got to follow along. Um, right. Winning a ton, like bouncing all over that side of the country. Um, I think you, you could tell me exactly, but I think last year you were in like 15 plus finals alone. And then when I really got to paying attention, I, I, watch, your, I watch your videos uh, on Facebook, follow along as best I can. Not only are you extremely successful, you're very well-spoken. I get the impression that you haven't been doing this a long time, and for some reason, I think that you started on a motorcycle. How accurate <laughs> is any of that? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you're pretty close, and first of all, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity, Luke. Um, I mean, anytime I get the chance to talk, I'll jump at it. So, uh, so this is a blessing for me, and uh, I'm very excited to just have the sit-down opportunity and speak with you. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for um, as far as the information you put out there, you're pretty much correct. Um, I've been racing now for 20 years, or this will be my 20th season, um, pandemic pending, of course. But um, I did not start on a motorcycle. I did race a motorcycle in 2007, um, briefly until it was uh, stolen from me. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I start, started out in a slow car, just like, you know, majority of kids at, you know, 15 years old, as soon as I got my permit. And, um, and yeah, everything else was pretty much spot on. You know, I will race anything with at least two wheels and an engine and I'll throw a dial in on it and feel as confident as anybody going into first round. So, uh, I definitely uh, take my racing program serious. And, um, I believe most of the people that are in elite take it serious. You know, we pay money to be there. And, um, I think we hold ourselves to a different standard than just your normal bracket racer, you know, on a, any given Saturday or Sunday at your local track. So, so I put a tremendous amount of you know pressure on myself to to succeed and um, excel in our sport and um, and I mean I've done the footwork to to try to to try to be successful and emulate pretty much uh, what I see you know out of you and other you know racers that have been doing this for a long time and are very successful what I consider successful. Thank you for for that all the way around. Um, I want to dig back into to where this all started for you, but let's. Let's first give a little bit of context. I, I, I kind of skimmed over your recent success, but let's just focus 2019. What were your highlights of the season? Um, and, and like how many, how, you, I'm sure you've got the accurate account of final <laughs> rounds. I, I believe you're a world champion in the NHRA Heritage Hot Rod Series. Just kind of walk us through last season alone. 
Uh, well, last season was an amazing, amazing year for me. Uh, you know, calendar year. We are on the West Coast, first of all. I want to say that, you know, we don't really have an off season. We don't really have a, um, a winter. Um, and my hands are doing quotation marks because our winter is pretty much December. That's it. So, um, so we're racing pretty much year round. So that means I, I'm afforded a lot of opportunities to go to, to the tracks and race. So um, pretty much every other weekend, it seems like between January and November, we're racing. So um, final rounds, I'm, I'm not very good at keeping stats on myself. That's one thing that um, I've, I've tried to become better at and I keep failing miserably and I will hold myself accountable and, and try to become better at, you know, keeping track of everything that I do. But um, I couldn't tell you how many races I attended. Um, I can't even tell you how many final rounds I was in, honestly. But, um, but I know I did win 15 events last year, and that was good for, I believe it was 10 or 11 Wallies, um, including that national championship, uh, the world championship through NHR Heritage Series, which was just, I mean, incredible. You know, very excited about that. But it, uh, it actually stemmed back to the year prior, um, 2018. Um, at the end of the – I drove really – well, all of 2018, um, had a catastrophic failure, you know, blew up an engine and threw my backup engine in with a new converter setup. And, uh, you know, it took most of the season to get used to it, but it was still putting up wins uh, throughout the year. And then we went to the ET finals in October in 2018 at Las Vegas, the strip. And um, I know division six and seven are the only two divisions out of the country that the Saturday's champion goes, I'm sorry, that the Sunday's race of champion winner goes to the to the Pomona, you know, the world championships. But um, so I, I ended up winning the nine round race on Saturday, which is the team race, the big one, you know, that's the one where you have to deal with all of the, the champions from each track, but you also have to deal with people like Luke Bogaki, who, you know, hasn't had time to race at his local track and try to win a track championship. But now he's at the ET finals and he wants to win just like everybody else. So um, I, I won that nine round race, man. And that's where the that's where the ball really started rolling going into 2019's success. Yeah, I would imagine that's got to be a huge adrenaline shot of momentum going forward. What, um, tell us a little bit, and man, I could go in so many different directions here. Number one, okay. if you're listening, you're like, oh, your ears perked up. Like, hey, I, I need to pay attention to this guy. This is, there's, there's not just smoke and mirrors here. When you say 15 <laughs> wins, 11 wallies in one season, like that's, that's, that's rarefied air to be sure. And I get your point too. There was a time in my racing career where I could tell you all the stats. There was a time that it seemed like it mattered. And that time's kind of come and gone. Like, I just try to go race and do the best I can. And I, I get the impression that you're telling me the same thing. Um, tell us a, a little bit, just background information. I know that it's bounced around a little bit after your engine failure and whatnot. But tell us a little bit about your racing program. What do you, what do you take into the track? Um, so, it's, like you said, it's low budget. Um, I don't, I just, I don't don't have a lot of money man I've never had a lot of money I didn't come from money I you know just a poor kid from the ghetto that uh that has a passion of this crazy sport that we all you know enjoy together so my dad is you know my biggest fan my biggest supporter um the man the reason why I do what I do and um he, he just instilled this love of cars and and bracket racing into me and um and I'll take it as far as it'll as it'll allow me man that's what it's my passion period point blank um, I lost my train of thought a second. Wait, no, your, your, your vehicle of choice. It's a, oh, okay. yeah. So, so yeah, so I, I race a, it's a 1984 Ford Mustang GT350. 
Um, it's pulled by a 97 Ford F-150 that I sleep in if I have to. And it's rare that I'll buy a hotel. I want to be at the track with my friends and, you know, go camaraderie around the track. So uh, low budget. I just barely bought a flatbed trailer this past Christmas for myself. Um, I've always towed with the two wheel dolly for the past 18, 19 years. Um, with the you know the race cars rear 456 gears rolling all the way down the highway to Arizona or Washington so uh <laughs> so it's a big step in me uh for me in the right direction to you know to get a, a flatbed trailer and get the car off of the ground that was putting a lot of wear and tear on the you know the rear axle for really for no reason so um but yeah it's just a low budget operation pick and pull 302 stock bottom in 302 man that um you know I'll throw bearings in it I'll uh you know, change the cam, heads, intake, but for the most part, it's a stock bottom in 302, doesn't make much power. And um, if it goes boom, I pray that it goes down and not up. I don't want to take my heads out, my cam out, but uh, but I mean, I, I really, I have five of them in stores ready to go at all times. So if, it, if I have an issue, then out it comes, another one goes in and we're back to racing next weekend, hopefully. So um, I keep it that way. And uh, someday, you know, I'd like to have nice stuff and Big power, big motor, you know, but uh, for what I am able to do right now, it, it's perfect for me. What kind of ETs are you used to with the, with this combination? Um, so we've been we've been working on it, trying to get it a little quicker. Uh, just I, I have a big mentor and somebody that you know from Elite, uh, Sean Clark, who's with, you know, um, the Spring Fling races. Sean Clark has been uh, my right-hand man for the past maybe year and a half. He's been just helping me tremendously. Um, but, but we're trying to get the car a little faster. We just feel that it'd be more consistent, um, with it being a little quicker as well as a little higher in the RPM range. So a looser converter and, you know, a better setup all around. So we've been working hard to do that. It currently runs like 1130s at 117 quarter mile. Um, in the eighth mile fastest pass has been a 710 at 97 miles an hour. So the car only weighs 2490 with me out of it. Um, just, and there's nothing special done to the car, just, you know, everything bolts on, subframe connectors, eight point roll cage, um, 456 gears. We're, we're shooting for a 6,000 stall this time around. Um, I currently have the car torn into a million pieces right now, rebuilding engine and tranny and converter. And why not? We have downtime. This is my winter. I'm taking full advantage of this pandemic. <laughs> I hear you. No, that, that, I know that that Fox body Mustang is, a, is generally perceived as a very affordable platform to, to do what we do. I know a lot of racers have had success in that regard. Um, and, and I just, I love, I know that we've got listeners all across the, the country, all across the world that are that resonate with what you're saying right that this is a low budget deal i'm getting to the racetrack in any way that i can get to the racetrack and what's what's interesting i think is is most of us myself included started our our racing career in in some manner similar to, to what you're talking about and the the towing it on a two-wheel dolly like that's that's incredible and it's even more incredible like when you talk about where you're doing it because Correct me if I'm wrong, us East Coasters, we get a little bit mixed up on West Coast geography. Like you're just not, it's not an hour or two to wherever you're typically racing. Like you're going all over the place, right? Yeah, correct. I mean, well, I mean, our, my home track is Sacramento Raceway Park. I live uh, just north of Sacramento, so it's about a 15, 20 minute tow. It's not very far, but then Sonoma's an hour and a half, hour, 15 minutes. Reading up north is about a three hour tow. And then really the closest track other than that is Southern California. And people think that, you know, LA is close to Sacramento. Um, it's not, it's a good eight hour tow, seven and a half hour tow. 
Um, when we go to Vegas a couple times a year, that's a 12 hour tow for us. You know, so for you, you probably roll through three or four states in that time um, and pass up, you know, 15, 18 racetracks. So uh, we're just, we're really spread out over here. And um, yeah, if you want to race, you have to travel to it. So how did, you said you've been racing 19, 20 years now, right? Yes, sir. How did this begin for you? Like, what is the earliest memory that you have of the drag strip? I mean, honestly, man, it's, it's all I've ever known. I was literally born and raised at the track. My dad had me at the racetrack. My mom tells me uh, within a week of being born, we had a big race at Sac Raceway. And, you know, she kept me in the car the whole time with earphones on. But uh, but I, all of my fond memories of growing up are from the racetrack. You know, my dad would... I've spoke on it plenty of times in any chance I can, you know, tell people. But when I was a kid, you know, my dad was like the father figure of the neighborhood, like where we grew up, a lot of the kids didn't have dads. So, uh, so my dad was a neighborhood mechanic, but he was also the father figure. So, you know, he disciplined other people's kids and try to, you know, put them on the right path. And, and he showed all of them, you know, that there's another way. You don't have to go to drugs. You don't have to go to violence. You don't have to go to gangs. Like, you know, you can come to this racetrack with me and check out the cool stuff you're able to do. You know, you can go to school and race cars. And, you know, there's, there's other things out there for you. Being where we're from, you know, a lot of people didn't get the chance to, to see that. So my dad was a, a great, great father figure for everybody. And uh, me included, you know, I had to share my dad with 20 other kids, but we would stuff inside of the motorhome and, head to the racetrack an hour and a half late, you know, we pull in the gate and, and they're at the gate like, hey, tell everybody we can start the race. Henry Robertson's here, you know, we, we, can, we can go through first round now. He's finally here. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I, you know, Dave Smith's the owner of Sacramento Raceway Park and uh, his, it's, his, it's his property. He lives on Sacramento Raceway Park. It's his small business. Um, the racetrack is actually, it used to be a landing strip for his plane, you know, that's what it is. So, uh, so I would eat food out of his fridge and swim in his pool, play basketball in his court. And um, also, it always felt like home to me. You know, they've treated me like family for the past, you know, 30 years that I've been alive. So uh, I really appreciate the Trimps and the Smith family that own Sacramento Way for doing what they've do done for the city of Sacramento over the past, you know, 50 years. Um, just giving us all a place to grow up and race. And I was hoping, you know, to someday raise my kids at the track and uh, we're in lieu of losing it. So it's, uh, it's a sad time, man. It is. Yeah, no, scary times for, for a lot of people all across the country on, on, on that note, for sure. All across the world, for that matter. What, so if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double click a little bit on this, Henry, I get the impression just from what you said that you didn't grow up necessarily in the greatest area, but you had strong family impact. And that, like, it sounds like racing was almost a way out, not necessarily just for you, but even for the the others in your community that your, your father kind of mentored and took under his wing. Is that, is that fair? Uh, definitely. 100%. I mean, and, and a lot of the kids that, you know, that I consider family, I grew up with them. They, uh, they came to the track as kids, but none of them have went the route of, you know, of racing. Like that's my dad, you know, that's my passion is to, you know, to be like my dad. But, um, but yeah, no, definitely just where, you know, where we grew up, it was hard and, you know, I didn't know I was poor until I got older, you know, I thought we had everything we needed, but, but, you know, a lot of days my dad would have to make a decision, you know, are we going to the racetrack? Or are we going to eat for the week, you know, and we're at the racetrack. So like I <laughs> grew up with that mentality like that, like we're going to, we're racing. That's what we do. It brings joy to our lives, you know, and, and, um, and that's how we, that's how we want to treat it. <clears throat> how did your father first get into the sport? 
Um, so my dad, he's a, he's an old man now. My dad's a, a generation. I'm a generation behind all of my first cousins and brothers. Um, uh, my dad is, he'll be 78 years old this year. He was born in, you know, 1942. So, so he grew up in San Francisco in uh, Bayview, Hunters Point. It's uh, like a, a naval shipyard is right there. So everybody works at, the, you know, the local shipyard or steel mill. And, um, you know, when he was able to buy his first car at, you know, 15, 16, um, all the kids, they were street race. That's what he grew up doing was street racing around, you know, San Francisco and Oakland. And like he's told us stories of there's a place called TikTok. It's a drive-in sandwich joint on Third Street, like the main street that uh, they would sit there and street race and cops would be sitting up on the hill betting on them. You know, they're betting burgers on watching the guy, the kids race down the street, you know. <laughs> but so uh, that's, you know, that's back in the 60s, though. And uh, it's a way different time then. So, you know, when uh, when Baylands uh, really started popping off and bracket racing started becoming a thing, you know, that you didn't have to have a lot of money or, you know, first one there necessarily, like they have this thing called bracket racing where it's time. Do you know? Anybody can do it. Then my dad started taking his uh, 51 Chevy to the car, uh, to the track, you know, and, uh, and trying to get into it that way. And um, like, I have memories of <laughs> like, you know, you're in, you're in elementary school and, you know, you have parent day or, you know, show off whatever day, you know, bring somebody in and who's your hero. And I bring my dad in and everybody knows I talk about my dad highly. Like my dad's a race car driver. Like, no, I know he's not like, yeah, he is. You know, he's, he's the best race car driver ever. And my dad would come into school and the first thing out of his mouth would be, I'll lose all the time. I never win. I'm just like pops. Like that's, you don't have to say that part. <laughs> we could ditch the humility for a minute, right? <laughs> yeah. Like just, just tell him you race cars why you got to tell him you, you don't win ever but but uh but that's my dad man he's a he's a great great man like i said he's getting older starting to slow down but um but that's uh that's who i you know try to try to emulate in life is uh my you know that's my hero my dad as you are growing up at the racetrack watching your father was he particularly successful at that time whether you know by um by by the standards of the of the those watching or maybe perhaps in your eyes how, how how successful was he i mean in my eyes uh of course i always thought he was you know good but, i mean looking back no nah, not really like <laughs> he just he had a he had a street racer's mindset you know that um if the car ran a 1240 and a 1248 like he's gonna dial a 1230 and run it out the back door i'm i'm, I'm exaggerating but i mean i know it's a different time back then too but but four tenths pro tree you know you know late 80s um and i mean he did okay he won some big events but uh but like the number game and just all the stuff that I throw at him on a, you know, on a weekend at the racetrack, like I just, I could see it in his eyes. Like he doesn't know, he doesn't process the way we think, you know, the numbers, the, like, like to this day, we'll go out of town, big bucks racing. Like he just started going with me to the out of town stuff and he's not familiar with the format. Like, you know, I just won six round and we're not in the money yet. And he doesn't understand that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what, what do you mean? We're not getting paid if you lose this round. Like pops, like, you know, there's still 17 cars left. Like <laughs> we're, you know, we're barely, we got to go one more round even to scratch the service of the money round. Like we're, we're there, but we're not there yet. And uh, like, he'll, he'll come up to me and, you know, like, it'll be a big round or, you know, I got a big name next to me, which I care less about, but you know, my dad comes up and he's, Oh man. I'll, all right. So don't, don't go red. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. Like I don't practice as hard as I practice or got to where I'm at right now by being scared of going red, like pops, get away from my car. You got to go somewhere. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. And actually, we've got we've got that part for sure in common because, like, I grew up at the track with my father, who I looked at and look at as you know my my mentor, my hero, and obviously the man that instilled a, a passion for racing in me, and um, who taught me you know everything that I, I knew getting started at least in the sport. And yet, similarly, like I I went to my went to the racetrack with my father every time that seemingly every time that the gates opened from the time that I was four years old to you know what I started racing a junior dragster at 11 or 12 and I never and, and he continued to race after that I never watched my dad win a race I never watched him make a final round which is oh, man. yeah so many people now are just shocked by that but I looked at him as a really good racer but he wasn't you know, particularly <laughs> and similarly, like I, I assume didn't have the best equipment. You know, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for it now looking back, but um, I feel like in my instance, that made my early success, like even that much more special because it was, I knew how, how hard he had worked for it. And just to see the look in his eyes when I had success, like, have you had similar moments to that with your father? 100% still to this day. Like I know that he's, he's amazed by some of the things that I do with what I have, you know, like, um, like I, when I win, like there's, I, I set it up to where there's some trophies behind me, but, uh, but these are stolen from his house because the, when I win a trophy, it's his, he takes it. <laughs> I, I get to keep the money. He keeps the trophies. So he guards them safely. You know, they're near and dear to his heart. He asked for like, when I win a race, he'll ask for all the time slips and, you know, he goes over the time slips and he'll call me and just be like, wow, like, you know, wow, you were sub 15 for six rounds. Like, that's amazing. And I'm just like, eh, like, look at that last slip. I gave it back a foul. You know, like, I'm, 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 I'm upset. I'm mad. I should have won that round, you know? And he's just like, no, like, look at what you do, though. And, um, I mean, like I said, I put a, you know, tremendous amount of pressure on myself to perform. But, but in the moment, like, when I'm going rounds, like, it's a very stress-free day. Like, I just – I know what I'm supposed to do. I have a, a goal in, in mind for every round I have. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I will situationally change my my game plan going down the track. But for the most part, like, I have a routine. I stick with it. And, and we try to turn on wind lights every single round, whatever we have to do to get through the round. You mentioned that your father started doing some of the traveling with you. How often is he with you at the racetrack these days? Uh-oh. Oh, here locally, it's every single race. It's uh, every race. But the out-of-town stuff, just because, um, like I said, I don't, I don't necessarily want to stay in a hotel when I go, you know, somewhere far. I want to be at the track with my friends and, you know, be there for the, you know, for the call in the morning or hanging out late night. Like, that's just the way I enjoy going racing. So uh, my dad's older. He wants a hotel. Like, I need a shower. Like, I'm going to go to the truck stop, Pops. I'm, I don't need the, you know, I don't need to lay in a bed. I'll sleep in my front seat of my truck. It's not a big deal. So uh, he just started going. I think the first race he went to was Woodburn, Oregon um, last year. And that's a that's a good 13 hour tow up to Woodburn, um, and uh, that was actually the place where I was speaking about the. It was they, they, what they have is five races over three days. It's three main events in the daytime, and then two shootouts at night. And um, every single race, I made it to six round where it was a odd number of cars, and we're not in the money. And my and I lost that round every single race, and my dad was so upset. Like, we just drove all the way to Woodburn. You won all these rounds, and we didn't come home with a dollar? <laughs> like, yep, that's Big Bucks Racing Pops. Welcome to it. <laughs> it is, it is. Like it or not. What, man, when I, when I listen to you, when I see 
your your in-car videos and, and things of that nature like the the passion and the the motivation I, I guess the passion for what we do and the motivation to be successful at it just oozes out of you what i don't know if you can even sum this up and, and articulate in words but what drives you like where does that motivation come from yeah that's a that's a great question luke and honestly i just i think a lot of it has to do probably with myself just i that, like i want to be regarded as one of the best to ever do it when it's all said and done and that may be a lofty goal it may be like I know a lot of times, like I, I self-promote all over Facebook and social media. And like, I feel like if, you know, if nobody's going to do it for me, I have to make the public aware of what I do. And I get a lot of great feedback and, you know, positive comments from it. Um, very, very few negative anything. Like people like what I put out there and, and I feel like they, you know, genuinely join in on my successes. Um, but I throw it all out there to the wind. I mean, good times, bad times, like mistakes, everything is there. I don't sugarcoat anything. Like, like I, I try to put it out there raw because I, I want the people to know that like what we do isn't easy. Like it's not easy to, you know, to cut a double of light every single time you go up there. Like it happens. You're going to go 30. You're going to go 40. And even that, like I consider that late where a lot of people are, you know, they race every weekend locally with us are like, I'd, I'd love to have a 30 light every pass. Like, like I don't hold myself to that standard. Like I, I'm striving to, to be something greater. And um, I know it comes off as like, there's a thin line between cocky and confident, but I, I exude confidence. Like I, I, I've put in the work, I'm very confident in what I can do round around. And um, I just try to let it hang out every single time. Has that confidence always been there i mean i i feel like it always snowballs with success but have you like since day one felt like you could be and were really good at this or is this more of a a progression as you've gone as you've had more success that that continues to build well luke i i grew up racing my street car it was a 82 buick regal uh, my dad painted it pink out of all colors who knows why and um, like I, I had to deal with you know that side of it. People make this like a boy named Sue situation. Like is he right. just there I mean, to, tight, to toughen you up or what? I have no idea. I think it's just my dad's favorite color. He may, may be colorblind like me. Who knows? But uh, but so uh, like I mean the car wasn't fast. It started off you know 15s. We got it eventually down to low 13s. But um, I've always raced slow cars. Like I've always felt really really comfortable being chased just because I have so much practice at it. Like. The big mile an hour splits nowadays don't bother me one bit. I feel just as confident. But, you know, going back to high school and, and learning to race, like, like I thought I had a good grasp of, you know, I would win some rounds, win some races, but I thought I had a good grasp on it. But um, there was somewhere around – so I bought my current car, the Mustang, in 2009 from a, a close friend who I helped uh, build the car. Not helped, but I had, I had watched him build it from the ground up. It was his high school car. And um, when he had a chance to buy a, a tube chassis car, he sold me this one. And, um, you know, I put my touches on it and began racing around 2011 and uh, went through a bunch of motors and trannies in a couple of years. But somewhere around like 2013 or 14, I had a nice little setup and there was a nice little combination that didn't need much maintenance. It ran a full season. Um, you know, I didn't have to deal with pulling the engine or changing the tranny like it was a it was a solid car for the, like the first time in my life it stayed together and I didn't have to worry about something grenading you know on every pass and somewhere right around that time a light bulb just went off in my head to where 
everything got easier. I was like, you know, I don't have to be double O every single pass to turn on the wind light. Like if I can go 12 and be confident that the car will run close to the number, um, you know, we might be able to turn this wind light on my racing. I, I've changed, you know, the style of racing multiple times, but, but for the most part uh, the way you put it is I'm a driver. I, uh, I'll hold as many numbers as, as I need, and I'm 100% banking on my skills. I'm going to chop the tree down, and I'm going to bring you up as close as possible. I'm taking the double O stripe, and we're going for double O every single time. So, so it's, it puts a lot of onus on me as a driver to, to be good every single round, and a lot of mistakes are made because of it. But um, now, current time, we're trying to get the car to catch up to me. I want the car in a place to where I can actually lean on it. I can, can go double O and 30 and just womp it once and know I'm good. I can take 20 and still be good. You know, I don't have to give it back accidentally double O one to be three over. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of times where, where I overdrive in situations I don't, I don't have to. And it, it's, it's, and I know it all stems from an inconsistent race car. So to answer your question, like I said, when I started that Regal, um, back in the, you know, in the heyday of when I started, it just, it was so all over the place to where I, I literally was holding almost a 10th at any given round. And I knew it, but, um, but I would bank on, I'm going to, you know, try to cut a light, which I, I'm 27 on the tree. Like I'm so good, you know, and, <laughs> and I'm going to bring them up as close as possible. And back then, you know, that turned on, you know, those 60 packs turned on a lot of wind lights, but, uh, but now 2020, it's not like that anymore. <laughs> No, but it, what I'm gathering from this is while some would look at your at your current combination and go, man, that's not the best tool for the job. It sounds like it's by far the best tool for the job that you've ever had. And I think oh, there is some, because I went through this early in my racing career, like I, I feel like I kind of came up racing, for lack of a better word, junk but it made me so much better once I got a car that I could depend on. Because as you said, like if I was going to win races, I had to win races. Like it was completely 100% on my shoulders. And to, from the sounds of what you're saying, like, I feel like there's a, a bit of a transitionary stage in there where you've got much better equipment, but you still like, you came up racing one way, so you don't ever really trust it. Right. And you kind of get in your own way occasionally because you're still putting all of that, that onus of winning the race on your shoulders. But long-term, when I look back, like I think I am a considerably better driver today for those early years for having to learn that way. And just from kind of the, the, the gist of what I get from your saying from, from your words, you're saying a lot of the same things. Is that, is that fair? No, def definitely. And, uh, I mean, I, I like right now thinking of my race car, like I feel like I have a great tool. It is a, it is a sharpened butter knife. You know, when I show up to the gunfight, me and my sharpened butter knife have a, we have as good a chance as anybody showing up here. So, so don't take it the wrong way. Like it, it may be, you know, low budget and not the best equipment, but, but it does do well for my expectations. It, it does what I need it to do in the most part. But um, like I said, me and Sean have been tuning and changing stuff and trying to make it better. And uh, you know, when I, when I go 60 foot uh, throughout, you know, 
maybe 15 passes on a weekend and it's only varying like one and a half. I'm, ec- I'm ecstatic. Like one and a half is amazing. And Sean's like, no, like it can be better. And I'm like, I'm still trying to, you know, get to the point where I'm looking at the 330, you know, numbers from, you know, over those same 15 passes and I'm seeing a variance of two and a half and I'm ecstatic. Like we got a deadly race car and it's like, no, like it can be better. So we're trying to make the car better um, as best as possible and just give me a, a, a better chance of going rounds. Just uh, like, like you said, that I, I would like to lean on the car. But even in this past, basically since January 1st, we went to another new converter, a, a eight-inch billet. Five, it was supposed to be a 5,000-stall setup, a DMP Matt Bricks converter out here local. And, um, and it's, it's once again took another step in the right direction. It's looser and it's staying up in the power band a little better. It's, we still have a good dip on the hit and a nice probably – maybe thousand drop on the on the one two shift it's a power glide um but we're trying to loosen it up even more trying to bring it up in the power band even more so it stays you know just more consistent throughout the full day of racing but um but this year i would consider the car being the most consistent it's ever been and um and it's i feel like just between me and you i feel like as soon as i like oh man it just went you know we're, we're racing mostly quarter miles so man i'm looking at the eighth mile and oh man it's been within fourth out all day you know four we're in the fourth round so six hits has been within fourth out of the eighth mile as soon as i dial hard it slows down too you know what i mean like so i still have trust issues with my equipment um to where i know if i would have been holding to like i normally would that wind light's turning on unless i give it back a foul <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, I wanna, I wanna come back, circle back, and, and double click on a couple of things, Henry. And again, like I, I'm kind of familiarizing myself with your story as you go. I feel like I've, I've kind of highlighted some of the commonalities between your experience and mine. And there's obviously, while while there, those are there. There's obviously some things that I can't resonate with in your life and that's more what I want to touch on now like I have no idea what what it was like growing up in the ghetto like what take me through like what was that what is the ghetto when you call it the ghetto and and how has maybe some of the things that you've seen or lived through shaped uh, let's not go too you know big picture but shaped like your outlook on competition Got you. Well, I mean, um, I, I, I consider the ghetto just a, you know, a community of less than wealthy people. So we have a, you know, community of people that really don't have any money, don't have any jobs, don't, there's no money flowing through the neighborhood. All you have is, you know, bad stuff surrounding you. You have people that are, you know, gangbangers and, and drug addicts and, you know, you got the hustlers, the ballers, the people that are selling the drugs, you know, with fancy cars and money and women and prostitution. And like, this is stuff that like me and my friends, we all grew up around, like it's normal to me, but I understand 100% when I show up to the racetrack, like nobody knows my backstory. Nobody, nobody cares where I came from. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, and I, and I honestly, I would upplay it as a, as a young racer. Like when we would go to the EC finals, um, let's say it was 2005, we went to Arizona for the EC finals. I'm in my pink regal and, uh, you know, it's third round of race of champions and, I'm, you know, I'm a nice guy. I'm, I'm friendly. I love talking with people, but, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to upplay this. So when I go shake my opponent's hand, I'm going to throw dubs on it. How you doing, man? What's going on? I wish you good luck. I got my gold grill shining, my, you know, my chains hanging out, got baggy clothes on. Like I got this guy thinking, what is he doing here? Like he's in the wrong place. He took the wrong turn and uh, ended up at the wrong place. 
And uh, in my head, I'm thinking, you know, I'm going double O and dead on, so you better bring it because uh, I'm going to bring my A game every single time. You better bring it. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I think it's, it's definitely shaped just the man I am. Just like I said, that, you know, I've grown up to where my dad and my mom and dad are still together, too. They've been together since 78. So, um, you know, 42 years they've been together, and they are, you know, just a true definition of love. And, I mean, they fight and bicker, and they may hate each other, you know, but that's what a relationship is, you know, a real marriage is. And But they've, they've shown me how to be compassionate and how to respect people and how to be, you know, appreciative of everything that I've been afforded in my life. So, so you know, when I have opportunities to, to showcase that, like I always, always, always am very thankful for my parents because I know that they've instilled those values in me. Um, but just where we're from though, man, it's a, I mean, it was rough for sure. And there's a lot of kids that I grew up with that aren't here anymore or dead or in jail, you know, and that easily, easily could have been me. And I just, I'm very thankful that, you know, I have chosen the path I have with my parents' guidance, you know, that it could have went, you know, totally to the left easily. When I think back, like, I don't know that I've ever been anywhere that I felt more welcomed, more accepted than I always have at the racetrack. And now in the context of this conversation, I feel like I say that, but it's kind of easy to say because I think I look like most of the people I was around at the racetrack. Like I, you know what I mean? There, we have, there's a lot of commonality. You didn't necessarily have that. And I'm just curious, like, did you, have there been instances where you felt like an outcast like was this tell me some of the the hurdles that the average like white guy can't understand coming well, into our sport yeah no I, I definitely I, I can agree with that and I, I try to not even think of it this way because because you know it's just it's something that I would hope is not going on but but you're right though and and now looking at it um, like you know we're all connected with social media and and, you know, it's a little a little more broad spectrum of being able to see places that you're not necessarily familiar with. So I see a lot of black folks out down south racing and grudge, mostly grudge racing. Um, and, we, you know, we have a few even here, like, you know, one of my big sponsors, Jermaine Bodie from, you know, Street Outlaws, Team Bodie Racing Garage, and uh, as well as uh, Monty Fitzgerald, you know, Cloy Fitzgerald used to be, I mean, it's his dad. He's one of Division 7 tech guys. Like, these are black folks from, from the West Coast that are big in, in grudge racing. But as far as bracket racing, like, there's not too many, you know, black folks, I feel like, across the nation that really take it really, really serious, you know? So, um, so growing up and going to the track and stuff, like my dad was, was that guy, like he's the, he's the bracket race, you know, that everybody knows and loves, you know, but, but, um, but I see that. And uh, I don't, I don't want to say that I feel any type of way about it, but, uh, but definitely like it's, it's, you know, it's a tip of the cap. Cause I do put it, I do put down for my community. So everywhere I go, I don't say I'm from Sacramento, I'm from North Highlands, you know? So my little friends and people that I grew up in, in our community, like, you know, they always know I will always put on for my city. Like, oh man, he's out there repping North Highlands, you know, and, <laughs> and sky's the limit, man. Cause one day I'd love to, you know, reach back and bring some people up with me. Absolutely. What is the, the, I know it's so difficult to, to pinpoint because it's always fluid. And, and for most of us, it seems like that, that finish line is years and years down the road. But what is the, the end goal? Like, what is the dream situation for you in racing? 
Oh, man, that's a tough one. Because I mean, like you said, there's a lot of ways you can go. And like, for me, I just I really just enjoy the competition. I enjoy the camaraderie of being at the track. You know, if, if it was if money was no object, I would literally own a motorhome or a toter home and a stacker trailer with a couple way faster cars than I have now. And, um, you know, a top bulb and a bottom bulb, maybe a foot brake car, and I would just travel the country and race like that would be my ultimate dream. But a, re a realistic dream is that um, me and my lady are, you know, I just got married in January. So uh, we're, we're working towards, you know, um, getting our family started and buying a house and all of that good stuff. But she, she, from day one, we've been together almost nine years from day one, she's kind of understood that like this racing thing isn't just a hobby. Like it's kind of his life, you know, like I, I don't understand it, but I accept it. So, um, so she, <laughs> so she's, she's on board with, when I speak about, you know, I want to get established here in Sacramento, have a house, but I would love to buy a second home in North Carolina or Tennessee, somewhere that I can, you know, fly to, have a setup ready to go, race, whatever, you know, while, or if you want to come, great, pack the kids, let's go, you know, but, but I think she kind of like understands that my goal is to have a secondary home back east somewhere where they're racing legit all the time and um, where I can bounce back and forth uh, pretty regularly. And uh, that's really more of a goal for maybe within the next 10 years, not just an end goal. But um, as far as an end goal, man, I just, I, like I said, I just want to be regarded as one of the best to ever do it. And, and between now and the, and the time I pass away, uh, there's a lot of racing to be done and a lot of time to, you know, to manage um, as far as working towards that goal. What, uh, to this point in these 19 plus years of, of competition, if you could pinpoint one, and I, I, I hate to even ask this question because I hate to get asked questions like this because I never, <laughs> nothing ever just jumps to mind. But if you had to single out one greatest memory from the racetrack, is it that 2018 ET finals or is it something different? Um, Man, yeah, that's a loaded question for sure. And honestly, it probably, I mean, that's a big one. There's multiple. Um, like you said, this is a hard one. But I would really look back to my very first Wally. My very first Wally win was 2008. Um, I was in a different Mustang that I used to drive on the street. And uh, we called it the winner because it was just a flat out nasty winner. It, it did its thing. And uh, I won a lot of races in that car. It was ugly. And uh but it was the middle of summer, and um, I just I remember me and my dad. You know, after we we talk about you know Wally's, and my dad never won a Wally, of course, you know, and um, and you know I he he understood that I've expressed that's what I want. I want a Wally at this point. I've been racing for you know six seven years, um, just going through engines and trannies and issues and problems, and um, and this winter held together for us for a majority of the time, and it was a national open at Sac Raceway. And uh, when I turned on that final round wind light, me and my dad just stood on the starting line crying like little little ten year old girls, you know, just hugging each other. And and uh, that's a, I, I would I would assume that most of my fond memories are you know with my dad being at the track with me on a you know on a successful day of racing. And uh, I just I thank God that that you know I'm able to say that because a lot of people don't have their dads around, man. And um, and I'm very fortunate and blessed to still have mine. Yeah, for sure. That that even just the way that you tell that story, Henry, it, it makes me feel like I was there, and I can feel some of that that raw emotion coming through. That that's cool stuff. Yeah, well, definitely. Uh, 2012. Um, that was the next time I I put the car in the winner's circle for a Wally, 
And um, this was in my current race car. That was when I had kind of got, you know, the training and situation hashed out. I've been through multiple setups, but, um, but the car, I think I put it together. I want to say I got it fired up like the night before the, the two day uh, Wally race, the SAC Raceway National Open. And, um, and, you know, I had a, the night before I had a, I had a fuel leak right when I fired it up, the whole car caught on fire. And <laughs> so I'm putting out the fire and like, you know, making sure everything's okay. We're going racing tomorrow still, but I, uh, I ended up winning on Saturday, um, at, you know, late at night finished. And then Sunday morning we come back and I put the car in the winter circle again. We doubled it up, doubled up back to back Wally wins. And uh, that was another one that, you know, my, my, like I said, my dad's my biggest fan, but I think somewhere probably around that same time, like he kind of realized like you have it, you know, like you actually have a chance to be really good. Um, and I've, you know, since I started racing with the Regal back in the day, like I'd have people come up to me like, like, man, like, you know, if you ever get a real race car, like you're going to be, a, you're going to be a problem. And I'd take that kind of with a grain of salt. Like, what do you mean? Like my Regal's fine. You know, it goes down the track. I don't understand. You know, yeah, but is this a compliment or not yet? <laughs> like, like, like next time we line up and knock your head off now, you know, but <laughs> But like even like, you know, Kyle Seipel, he's one of our local big names. And, uh, you know, he's known me literally since I was born just because of my dad and his dad. And um, and I remember me and him lined up. It was at a, a Big Bucks event, uh, Governor's Cup, one of our big races. It was uh, the Friday before. It was a jackpot race, $100 buy-in, you know, usually like three grand to win or something like that. And first round, I, I pull up and I got Mr. Kyle Seipel driving his dad's Healy. And I'm excited. I get excited for big rounds. Like I'm, I don't get nervous. I'm, I'm excited, you know, but, uh, but man, I think I'm like, I drilled him. I think I'm like double O on double O five on the tree. And he's like 32 or something. And, uh, we get down there and I just got cute with the brake pedal and gave it back. He takes the win, you know, um, I actually would have got there. I front dumped him on accident basically, essentially. And, um, I, I'll never forget though. I'm sitting in my pit upset, you know, I just lost. There's no buyback. And, um, and Kyle comes and finds my pit and he's like, yo, Henry, I'll look up and he's got this big smile on my, on his face. And he's like, did you just front dump me? <laughs> I was like, uh, man, like I promise it wasn't on purpose is what I'm thinking. But, but like, yeah, I sure did. Like I, I knew I was good on the tree and I can't believe the wind light didn't turn on. He's like, man, you almost had me. He's like, you're going to be a really good racer someday. And I always like, you know, take those type of comments to, to heart and remember those type of deals to where, you know, people believed in me from a young age to be a, a decent racer. And that's a, it's great to be gratified by your community, you know, just that we put all this time and effort and money into it. And to have the, you know, acknowledgement of your peers is pretty much everything. That's, that's all you can ask for. Yeah, for sure. I don't think m many of us maybe don't even realize that. And I think fewer yet say it. But I think that's really the goal of success for most of us in racing, perhaps in anything, is to just have that um, atonement, like that affirmation from your peers. Be like that, that realization, hey, you're really good at this. You know? <laughs> and to hear it from somebody like Kyle, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Like these, all these guys that I grew up admiring, you know, around our, around our racing community, like these people that, you know, would just absolutely donkey stomp my dad. You know, like, like, like when, when we race now, like they're, they're pretty much getting beat every time. And they, they have, you know, they have the niceness in their heart to come up to me and let me know like, wow, like you've turned out to be a really good racer. I, I wasn't expecting that. I can't believe you did what you did on the track. You know, like I do unorthodox stuff all the time. Like I have, 
I have I don't have a normal set routine for for you know every single race like a lot of people that I race against I know what they're gonna do like I'm unpredictable so so when I pull a trick out of the you know out of the hat and and it works uh, it's it's pretty surprising <laughs> Uh, and just focusing a little bit more uh, again on the community aspect um, we we mentioned at the open how our relationship really started through this is bracket racing elite Um, just briefly like I'm not out to make this an infomercial by any means but this uh, as our listeners are listening to this will kick off open enrollment week for elite so for maybe those that are on the fence considering joining like you were obviously a very accomplished, very successful, very talented racer when you joined our community. And I don't think it's something to where we're necessarily going to tell you much of anything that you didn't already know. So with that in mind, you know, you're like a year into this roughly. Uh, what has been the benefit to you from being a part of This Is Bracket Racing Elite? Wow. Well, first of all, I really appreciate the kind words, Luke, but, um, but no, definitely, man. I just, um, I like, when I look at at Luke Bogaki Motorsports, like that is to me the ultimate goal. So to see you having success with as many people that join and follow and hang on every single word you say, I mean, you spew out a lot of information, useful, great information, but, but it's a lot of information and it takes somebody driven and motivated to even stem through a lot of it and find usefulness you know what i mean out of what we do so so for me when i came in i came in i talked to sean before we joined and i told him like i honestly i don't know like what i would get out of it like i i'm not trying to be cocky or funny or anything like i just i don't understand like what i possibly could gain from this you know and um and within the first I say maybe three hours of watching videos, dude, like I was hooked. I could listen to you talk all day, every day. Like you're speaking on my passion. So it's great. It's amazing. There's a lot of things within elite, the community that um, don't necessarily apply to my racing program. As far as, you know, um, shock settings and tuning for the SR 20 heads and like all this, just, you know, this name brand stuff that I just don't have, like I'm a little foot breaker from, you know, from California. Like I don't have a lot of this, uh, settings and, you know, adjustment criteria. So, so for me, I gained a lot of knowledge and, um, like, uh, got a lot of stuff out of the, the, the aspect of the internal, the, the mindset, the preparation, the just the way that you are able to 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 put it into words um, is amazing, man. And the way that you always refer back to quotes and and just putting stuff in front of everybody daily on a daily basis, man. It's um, and holding us accountable too. That's one thing that I never have really done that I have done tremendously over the last year and a half is you know I'd go go double O, go double O, go thirteen, go twelve, and then have a forty, and I'm just like eh. Like, yeah, well, it is what it is, you know, like yeah, it happens. Like, no, it, it shouldn't happen. You know, I'm holding myself more accountable now to, to the performance side of it. But the, the mental preparation, though, the, the exercises that you put out on Elite is second to none. Um, the Bob Rotella quotes, like, like just stuff, everything that stems back to the mental side of it, man, I, I, it resonates with me 100%. And, and I appreciate it because um, I think it's changed my mindset once again on um, just, you know, the whole outlook of this bracket racing thing. Man, thank you for that. I, I promise that was not a paid endorsement. That's awesome. I appreciate <laughs> that, Henry. What, um, I, this is probably, this might be the trickiest question of the, of the whole episode, but 
because I feel like it's tricky for all of us now that there's more, right? I guess there's less certainty than we've ever had before. So I feel like when I ask you, Hey, what's next for you? Like, I don't know if any of us really know, but what, what are your, your future plans racing related? You know, obviously once we get back to some sense of normalcy. Got you. Well, currently right now, my car's in a million pieces. Just um, I sensed the opportunity of it being some downtime and uh, was kind of on the fence really about going too deep into it. And uh, my dad just 100% flew off the deep end. Let's go. So engines being rebuilt. We already did the tranny and converter. I'm going up to a 6,000 stall converter or shooting for anyways, uh, eight inch billet. Um, I rebuilt the rear end. I had a little like vibration coming from the rear end. So that's already done. Um, so when it comes back, it'll be 100% ready to go whenever that date is. Um, as you know, we have these little coronavirus races going on out here on the West Coast that uh, we don't we don't speak on. You know what I mean? But uh, <laughs> but uh, but definitely. So we are able to race a little bit right now. But once NHRA opens the floodgates, um, I'm planning on attacking it 100% full throttle. And um, for me, as far as a just something that I've been looking forward to for really since it started. I'm not sure what year, like 2012 or 13, but when Kyle and uh, Peter Beyond started uh, Spring Fling, um, I've always told myself, like, that's where I want to be. Like, I don't care what it costs. I don't care. I don't care if I come with my sharpened butter knife to that gunfight. Like, I want to show up and show out and, you know, just mix it up with the best of the best. And, uh, and luckily, man, I've been, I've been afforded the opportunity this year. I'm in a, I'm in a position to, to put myself there, but I did have some silent help that um, has stepped up tremendously um, to make sure that Robertson Racing Inc. will be at the Spring Fleet Million in Las Vegas. So I'm more than, I can't even put it into words how ecstatic I am, man, just to, just to have the chance to go. And um, so I'll be in the, in the bottom uh, Pro 38 and uh, we'll, we'll try to shake it up, man. I look forward to meeting you in person, Luke, and speaking with you in person. And I mean, there's going to be so many people that I'll just be ecstatic to sit down and talk with, man. But it's going to be a great experience, even if I don't turn on one wind light the entire week. But, uh, but I fully plan on going there and knocking some heads off. <laughs> man, that is exciting. I cannot wait to see you uh, compete on that stage. That, that's going to be very cool. And just the way you, you talk about it, like I can, the, the enthusiasm and the, and the, the drive that we talked about earlier. Like it, it's just, it's oozing out of every word that you say. It's awesome. For sure. It's going to be a good time, man. I can't wait. As we, uh, as we kind of close this out, Henry, I, I want to just kind of give you the, the, the platform, so to speak, or the, the stage. I, I get the impression that there have been, uh, obviously racing is an individual sport, right? Probably you, you seem more humble than, than most in saying I, I haven't gotten here all by myself. I assume at the top of that list is your father, but I just want to give you the opportunity to, to kind of shout out or thank anybody that, uh, and I probably didn't prepare you for this. So you're going to leave people out. I know, but I just wanted to give uh -oh. you the chance here. Oh no, I have them wrote down 100%. I'd show you the paper if you had me on video right now, but no, we, we, we definitely, uh, we're as racers, you know, we, we look at um, marketing partners and sponsorship as um, it's a, it's a mutual benefit, you know, mutually beneficial relationship. So, so without sponsors and, you know, people backing us, it's hard for us to do our job, but it's also hard, harder for them to sell products. So, so, um, it's a, you know, hand in hand type of thing. So I, I was going to take the floor on that regardless of you let me or not, <laughs> but, uh, but no, definitely my, my dad and mom, um, just, you know, they're my biggest supporters, biggest fans. And, um, 
and I love them and thank them from the bottom of my heart for my beautiful wife, Julia Alvarado. I'm sorry, God, that's her maiden name now, Julia Robertson. You know, <laughs> just, <laughs> just uh, she, she just, she, she has backed me up from day one on this crazy, crazy life that we live, you know, just this ultimate chase of, I mean, just like, there's really, there's no end to it. Just if I could race every single weekend, I would, you know, and she understands that. Um, and uh, granted, we don't have kids or anything right now. And I expect, you know, some things to slow down and change over the next few years, but, but racing ain't going nowhere. It'll always be there. Um, and, uh, and I know she understands that and I'm thankful for that. But, uh, but my biggest, you know, uh, sponsors, of, of course, Sean Clark, man, he's just, he's an outstanding dude. We haven't hung out much in person, but, um, but we will. Um, I look at him as a friend now, you know, and he's been there every step of the way for the last year and a half as somebody just to bounce ideas off of while I'm at the track or, you know, this problem or that problem. And uh, he always has great sound advice. He's a, a good friend, him, Kyle Seipel. Um, But then we have uh, Jermaine Bodie, TBR Garage, you know, that's off the of street outlaws, Jermaine Bodie, appreciate him. Uh, Mark Friere, Rocket Automotive, that's my main title sponsor that – uh, we need to get the car wrapped, man. The car is just, the sun is, the sun is hot, Luke. The sun is hot in California. Quote of the episode, man, the sun is hot. Man, the sun is hot. I don't have a garage. I don't have a shop. Like, we, we work on the car out in the conditions. And, like, when I bought the car, the car was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It's just over the years, oh, my God, it's gotten ugly. So, <laughs> and I know pretty doesn't win races, but it, it does, she deserves it. She deserves to look better. I always keep her waxed up and butter up the tires, you know, but – but she she deserves a nice wrap, you know, with some great signage of sponsors. Um, I've had people, you know, like, man, if I sponsor you, like, where are you going to put the sticker? Like, you you know, there's no room. You ain't got a real estate left. And uh, we always have room for more sponsors. So if you're out there and you want to be involved with Robertson Racing, hit me up online. You can find my contact information pretty easily, and I'd be more than willing to sit down and talk with you. But um, Bill Huntington, GZ Motorsports, he just hooked it up with that that vacuum pump, beautiful, nice setup. Um, gets all of the you know the crud out of your fuel, and I mean it's it's really it's a it's a it's a good system. I used to have a little uh, oil leak coming from the rear main sill, and ta-da, it's gone just from a vacuum pump. So if nothing else, that's a great great gain right there. I don't have to wipe down stuff anymore. <clears throat> but uh, Paz Performance, Dennis Paz, he's out of Stockton, California. Not sure if you know Dennis, but he's a well well accomplished racer from here on the West Coast, and. Um, his daughter, Stephanie, me and her grew up racing high school together, just battling all through high school, and they're great people. But Paz Performance, uh, Larry Bryan at Affordable Muffler. I'm sorry, Larry Bryan at NorCal Transmission um, does our trannies and, you know, just a good friend. Brian Ford, Affordable Muffler, always has my back, great guy. Uh, and also our newest acquisition, Tim Huck at Beard Mountain. Um, it's a sponsorship for facial products for men with beards. Um, I don't know how I landed that one, but uh, <laughs> with this big beard hanging off my face. But but if you enter, uh, my race car's name is Stickers, by the way. I'm not sure why they call her that. But uh, but if you enter in the checkout at beardmountain.com, if you enter Stickers15, S-T-I-C-K-E-R-S-1-5, you'll get 15% off at checkout. They have a lot of oils and face creams and stuff of that nature for guys with beard. You know why? Because we have skin too, so take care of it. You want to look good when you get old. You don't want to be all wrinkly, you know? Nice. I love it. Beard game strong. Like I yep, should have yep. I should have given you that right off the go. <laughs> yes, and then it, correct me if I'm wrong, the 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 vehicle of choice has gone from the winner to stickers. Am I getting that right? Uh, so so the winner was an old Mustang I used to race. Sure. Yeah, so so stickers, uh we, we call her uh uh what what is she called? Why I don't even think right now. 
It's the money maker. That's what it is. Hey, there you I go. Call, All right, I, I like that. The, she's, she's the money maker, not the money taker. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, because I was thinking stickers doesn't really do it justice. I mean, I get the nickname, but yeah. She, you know, I, I'll sell I, I'll sell Eskimos or I'll sell ice to an Eskimo at a high price and get them twice. You know what I mean? So <laughs> <laughs> the car, the car is what it is, man. It's low budget, and uh, when I win money, I'll, I want it to go into my pocket, not back into the car. Just to be honest with you, like she doesn't take, she doesn't need very much. You know, oil change here and there, spark plug and um i keep it very low maintenance i try to like there's a lot of times where i'll pull the hood at the end of the at the end of the race weekend just to make sure the engine's still there because the hood the hood ain't been off all weekend <laughs> and that's what it's all about a lot of us honestly myself included at times lose sight of that but you're at that that's the basis of bracket racing and i think it's so refreshing to see someone like yourself having the success at the level that you are and have that outlook like no i don't well, need the, the the best the shiniest of the fastest like i just need a tool and you've got a tool. Well, i think that that's probably one of the main points of you know this is racing elite it's somebody that wants to be good that maybe necessarily is not fully there yet, take advantage of Luke's program. This is Bracket Racing Elite is a community of people that want to be good. We want to excel. We want to dominate when we show up to the track. So if you're looking to up your program in, like Bracket Racing is the, it's the best sport in the world to me because somebody like myself that doesn't come from money, I have success within this sport with very minimal equipment. You, it doesn't take a lot of money to be good in the sport. It takes drive, passion, and a consistency, even within yourself. It doesn't have to be a consistent car. But if you can, if you can dedicate time and effort into becoming good, it'll happen. I take people under my wing all the time. If you're willing to listen to what I have to say, just like Luke, if you're willing to really try to be better, that's all I could ask for. Like I, I look up to you a lot, Luke, just off of off of what you're doing with this uh, elite stuff and and the compliments that you had. You know, like I. I would love to, to take your place one day or join you, man, for real. Awesome, man. Well, I was I was going to give you a hard time about the ice cream to Eskimos thing, but you said that so well. I, I can't <laughs> myself. So. <laughs> Any shout outs, closeouts, anything we missed before we wrap this up? No, I just, man, I just, like I said, man, I'm thankful to God for, you know, putting us on this earth and giving us this great sport of bracket racing. And just thank you to my friends and family. And like, uh, as bracket racers that take it as seriously as we do, like a lot of my friends, they already know if it's between the months of January and November, if you invite Henry somewhere, he probably ain't going to show up, you know, we're, we're racing, we're at the racetrack. So, uh, so I thank all my friends and family and, uh, you know, the people that have stuck by and supported me through everything and, um, sky's the limit, man. Just, we're going to keep pushing and, as more opportunities, you know, open, open their door, we're going to step through with full confidence and ready to take on the world. Plan your weddings for December. If you can, if you can graduate in the, in the, in the winter semester, that would be optimal. That would yeah. be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Henry, again, man, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your story with us. I really have enjoyed this. Uh, wish you nothing but success going forward. And uh, as has been the case for as long as I've known you, um, wherever you are, uh, we'll be cheering you on from here, man. Thanks again. I appreciate you. Thank you, Luke, man. You guys have a good one. I can't wait to meet, uh, can't wait to meet Jed, too. Yeah, you're in for a treat there, no doubt. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Thank you. And hey, gang. Luke here with a few words about This Is Bracket Racing Elite. I hope, if whether this is the first time that you've listened or you've been a long-time listener here to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, I hope that you're familiar with thisisbracketracing.com. That is the website that I started 12-plus years ago 
in an effort to help racers just like you become the best version of yourself on the racetrack over that time we've literally helped thousands of racers in that pursuit our premier membership community this is bracket racing elite that is the the cat daddy of what we have to offer on this is bracketracing.com it's been so popular and there has been so much demand that for the last several years, we only open the doors to our community. We only accept new members twice a year for just a week at a time. The reasoning for that, again, because the demand is so high, and two, it's just due to our focus on delivering and creating, providing value for our membership. So for 50 weeks out of the year, that's all we focus on, is providing value, providing insight, helping our members walk through the process of getting a little bit better every single day on the racetrack. The other two weeks a year, we focus on marketing. Well, this is one of those two weeks. Enrollment is now open starting Friday, May 29th, stretching through Saturday, June the 6th. So time is limited. Uh, we only do this twice a year. It's only for a week. I would strongly encourage you, if you feel like there is opportunity in your racing program to, to take the next step, however big or small that step may be, This Is Bracket Racing Elite can help you get to where you want to be. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Reasons to use BTE tune-up services. Number one, quick turnaround time. You won't be out of commission for half the season while you're waiting on your parts. Number two, unparalleled customer service and responsive communication reason number three all brands of parts are accepted it's not like they just work on bte parts number four bte offers freight shipping discounts they are located in the shipping capital of the united states near memphis tennessee and number five reason to use bte tune-up services quality work from knowledgeable technicians helps your system achieve peak performance Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs>